thought it was funny if you didn't notice last week Rob Brennan finished his water before he even got up here. <laughs> I thought maybe someone should explain to him how it works. Just little things I notice. Um, I think we got it out in time, but um, due to my brother's surgery, he, he was supposed to speak today and I was supposed to speak next week. I thought, I don't know if I can prove it biblically, but with those drugs running through your system, I don't think you should be speaking. So, <laughs> you have me today, Lord willing him next week. So because of that, we're going to, um, we're going to go a little out of the progression. Uh, turn to James chapter 3. So it means we're going to skip part of chapter 2 there. He's going to cover that next week. Uh, again, not to be a broken record, but we want this series to be uh, the thought process of how do you become a mature believer? How do you put your faith in action? How do you stop your faith from being just a bunch of words and a lifestyle that actually shows that you are a Christian? There was a grave with a writing on it once in England that said this, Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. <laughs> some of us know some Arabellas in our life. Let's look to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much um, that your words are perfect. Uh, that your word would say, uh, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So we could even begin to grasp the depth of what that means, that uh, your eternal word, how powerful it is. And uh, Lord, we also know that uh, what we say uh, can harm people for a long time. And so uh, we just need your grace, we need your spirit uh, to control me, to do a mighty work in the room that we would control our hearts, that uh, we would sit there and, uh, if it be in your will, be convicted about the things that come out of our mouth, that we would see change, and that we would not get discouraged when we fail, but we would, with your strength, uh, keep trying uh, to become a perfect man. And so bless us during this time. Uh, May you be glorified and honored above all. Keep my lips from false teaching. In your name, amen. This would be a subject that's pretty uh, normal and yet uh, can get to where we just kind of gloss over it. And to be honest, I, uh, I really don't even know if I'm there spiritually, meaning this. It's um, easy to, um, it's not easy, but to preach a message about the tongue and really not try to think about how it applies to your life. Um, and just kind of try to think in general terms because uh, it's very hard to control what you say uh, in so many different levels. And yet, uh, God has been convicting me on that the whole point of this series is that we start to put our faith into action. And so I kept questioning myself of, um, after this message, how does my life look different when it comes to what I'm saying? Um, and I really don't like it. To be honest with you, I really don't like it. I like what I say. <laughs> I have no problem with what comes out of my mouth usually. Uh, other people do, but not me. <laughs> so um, 
it's a hard message to give in that, and that I understand. Uh, here I am trying to uh, teach to you God's word, and I have to obviously live, live by this too. So let's, let's read verse 1, by the way. It's a good segue. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing we shall receive a stricter judgment. Me being the one teaching today, I'll just let that sit a little bit. Um, but the background to that, let's keep reading through verse 12. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouth that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. <clears throat> I just do uh, appreciate the way this book is set up. He's, he throws in little snippets all the time that are so deep, but he doesn't go into it. It's like he just wanted to get to the point. So um, starting in verse 1, he's going to start talking about the tongue and why uh, it's such a big deal. Why it's such a big deal. So he's just going to say something very quick like, hey, you know, you guys who teach... Um, be careful. You're under stricter judgment. And not everyone should be, hey, hey, I want to teach. Because when you say this is what God says, that holds a lot of weight. A lot of weight. Okay, and this goes into the very general topics of hypocrisy. You don't want someone preaching a lifestyle of Christianity with their words, saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. This is what he says to do. This is what he says don't do. And then you don't do it. That's what the world can't stand. But the world can't stand. And so we have to be careful about those things. We have to be careful. And as we go in here, it says, I love what it says, for we all stumble in many things. That's a, that's a, that's a verse we should underline. Okay? We all stumble in many things, not just one or two. And so what he's talking about as we come together is a perfect man. A perfect man. So if we all stumble, we all are sinners, we all got a lot of things we mess up on, well, how do we prioritize? It, I mean, sometimes I look at my life and like, Lord, there's a lot of sin to work on. So uh, where, where do we start? And I see that after studying this, we do not make what we say a priority. And in fact, the scripture would teach different. It says, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. That means completely mature, complete, lacking nothing. They've met the mature process. That's the test. If you can control what you say, you have accomplished maturity. And yet when I think about being mature, if I think about putting away sin, I really don't worry about what I say. 
And yet, as you think about it, it is very hard to sin and still be silent. That's why Proverbs says, where there's many words, sin is not lacking. Think about all the things that tempt you, all the areas you fall in, whether it be pride, whether it be lust. There's always an opening of the mouth that either invites something to happen or, or uh, you know, you just say what's on your heart in a situation. It's very hard to sin and be silent. Very hard. Okay, now there's a whole thought process. That's fine. But if you really want to get a grasp on being mature, he says, get a hold of this, your mouths. Get a hold of that. Make that a priority. And then he's going to go explain why. Because see where it says, able also to bridle the whole body. This is a foundational truth that when you start to control what you say, it actually permeates and actually helps you in other areas that you might not even think it would in your walk with Christ. Other areas of sin that you're trying to have victory in, one of the ways to accomplish that is to actually start with your tongue. And as I was going over this, I was thinking, man, like it doesn't even seem to make sense to me. What about this and what about that? A lot of times with sin, there's always an invitation, right? There's always an invitation. Do you want to? And what do we do? Yes, I will. You open your mouth. You open your mouth and you say verbally, I'm agreeing to do this. It's very hard to go to a scene where maybe some people are doing some funny things and they ask you to participate and you just you just sit there and you don't say anything. No, there's always a point where you acknowledge it. Either you're going to say, no, that's not my scene, or you're going to say, sure, let's do it. So that mouthpiece is actually a lot bigger than you think. And if you're able to bridle that, get that under control, speak correctly, you can actually, look what it says, bridle the whole body. Do you remember a time when your words meant everything to someone? Every, I mean, there's been times where people have just said the right thing to me at the right time. And like the Proverbs talk about, it's like, uh, what does it say there? Apples of gold and setting of silver. It's just perfect. You can just bless someone just by saying the right thing at the right time. And how much that means to us. What about this? Have you ever been maybe at work, maybe somewhere else, and someone says this, I thought you were a Christian. That's been said to me, and it hurts. <laughs> Someone just says, I thought you were a Christian. Right after you say something, right after you join a conversation, right after you give an invitation to sin, you yourself, to someone else, that stuff can tear you up. Your mouth is very important. Very important. It's so powerful. Look at verse 3. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. This little thing, your tongue, is what it's basically saying. You're a little bit in a horse's mouth. First of all, this is like every preacher's dream. He's going to give you the illustrations to back up every point. <laughs> it's kind of like, man, Kim was asking me how the message was going. I was like, I don't know if I should do illustrations. He's already got them lined up. I just use those. So you have a bit in the horse's mouth, okay, a little thing. And if you've ever been on a horse, you know how it is. Uh, they are tremendously strong animals. 
Um, you think you're in control, but you know, I mean, you are in control, but you know at any point, this is kind of funny because this horse can just do what it wants with me. Um, and yet you control it by usually, you know, a piece of metal this big in their mouth. Okay. And your whole body can be controlled. How big is your tongue? I don't know. That's, that's weird. Let's not compare that, but you know, okay. So you have to think about that. Turn to Proverbs chapter 18. We're going to look at 21. Remember that the book of James, they say he was um, influenced a lot by the Proverbs. Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love will eat it through. I just want you to think about how profound that is. Death and life. What we say. There's things I have said in my life that would forever make certain people not trust me. Forever. Now I could try to win their trust back. Maybe Lord willing I could. But there's things I have said that maybe someone told me in confidence and I shared that to someone. Ruins that relationship for a long time. Death. There are things I have said to people that I just said in anger. Ruin that friendship for a long time. Maybe never being able to really regain with that friendship where it was at one point. It's very possible. Very possible to ruin relationships with people by what you say. And at the same time, it's, uh, the opposite of this is true. Your tongue can bring forth life. What you say to people can get people to love you, <laughs> can get people to, to care for you, uh, to take care of you, uh, to establish friendships that you really need in this Christian walk. All that is possible. All that is possible. Able to control the whole body. Do you want to be able to be in control of where your lifestyle is going or do you want to be out of control? The mature believer wants to be in control and this mouth of yours is the thing that's doing it. The next one is the rudder. It says, look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. As I was thinking about this, it brought me back to my Camperia days where we used to, uh, in the summer, sail on these little sunfish. I don't know if you've ever been on a sunfish. They're a lot of fun. They're a little sailboat. Well, you know, there was one summer where there was no wind whatsoever. So it really doesn't make for... Good sailing. <laughs> so I think we broke like three boats. We just uh, we jumped from boat to boat. We destroyed them. We just absolutely destroyed them because they really wouldn't uh, go anywhere, and then it just gets boring. Well, the reason I'm saying that is this. If you've sailed at all, when you have very little wind and you're moving, you can basically turn that rudder pretty far to the right or left, and you'll kind of slowly turn. Well, when you have some of the great 25, 30-mile-an-hour winds, and you are cruising on a sailboat, you are basically holding the rudder in place because if you turn it an inch, you are whew, you are veering left or you are veering right. And so that's the idea of this verse. When strong forces come upon the boat and you are really going fast, you just move it a little bit and that boat is in a completely different direction. And so I thought about the forces that come upon us, things like anger, Things like lust, things that can be so strong and then 
Your mouth, if you don't have any control, can say something and boom, you're going in a completely different direction. Very fast. It has that ability. It says when the fierce winds are come, you just take a little turn. You just say one or two little things and it has the ability to change the course of a lot of different things in your life. I don't want anger to be the uh, the ultimate example here, but man, I have said things in anger that were not, I did not say a lot. I just knew how to hurt them. I knew how to hurt the person. I got the perfect word in my mind and I was upset and I just, I just killed them with my words. It didn't take a lot. You ever been in that position where you wanted to win the fight and then you do win the fight and you go, you know what, this wasn't worth it. So it wasn't worth winning the fight. Your tongue has the ability for life and death. And you better be careful. Because when you are feeling like there's something strong against you, you got real feelings and you're getting pent up, either with anger or lust or pride, and you, you're arguing with someone and you just got all these retaliation coming in your head that you can win the argument, and all this force is coming upon you. It does not take much. Your words do not, it don't have to be a lot of words for you to completely steer the ship the other way. And it takes a long time to recover. It takes a long time. That's why the book of James would say, be slow to speak. Please, when all this, when all these fierce winds are upon you, this rudder can just, it'll move you so fast. And how is it, how is it that, you know, this little object can just make such a difference? He's explaining. He's giving emphasis. He wants the believer to know, do not underestimate your tongue. Don't think it's small. Don't think it's a little thing in life. Don't think it shouldn't be prioritized. What we say is crucial. Crucial to being a mature believer. What we talk about, how we say it, when we say it. Look at verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest. See how great a forest a little fire can, can kindle. Again, he's giving you the object lesson right there. We know all these things, right? With all these great wild uh, fires that just started with a little spark. Your speaking has the ability to cause humongous fires. I remember uh, studying this. Uh, we did a whole series on this in sixth grade when I was a teacher. On October 8, 1871, at about 8.30 in the evening, a lantern in Miss O'Leary's barn, presumably kicked over by her cow, ignited the great Chicago fire. Before it could be contained, 17,500 buildings were destroyed. 300 people died, and 125,000 others were left homeless. There was another one in 1903, a pan of rice boiled over onto a fire, spreading coals across the room and starting a blaze that eventually consumed a square mile of a Korean city, burning some 3,000 buildings to the ground. The Great Chicago Fire, I've seen some of those pictures. Well, it is kind of interesting, too. They had sidewalks made of wood. (laughs) I mean, it was just everything was made of wood. It was like, well, you can see why it burned so much, but... Some of the interesting things was the actual, there was coals. It looked like they would almost say it was like fireworks. They had um, 
pieces, not really of coal, but like of a burning something, and the wind would carry it over the river. So that people thought right there, the Chicago River, like, well, at least we're on this side of the river. And then people were kind of in terror as the wind was blowing fire over the river and fire started on the other side of the river. They at least thought they had some kind of protection with the river, but they didn't. And it all started because someone left a lantern on and a cow kicked it. I mean, look at the stats. 17,500 buildings were destroyed, 125,000 homeless Homer, you imagine the panic that night? The panic of going, wait a minute, wait a minute, this fire is on, it's uncontrollable. And it's affecting thousands of people. You guys see where the illustration is? You, you say the wrong thing. You spread a rumor about someone. You spread a lie about someone. Thousands of people. Thousands of people can get affected. Again, not to get political at all, but I think it applies. This whole Kavanaugh hearing. Let's just stop for one second. If we could actually believe in everyone's testimony, how much changes? The whole fact is we don't believe anyone. The whole fact is we go through this humongous progress to try to see if you're telling the truth or not. That means the tongue got out of hand. That's what it means. You had the whole world watching. Because we, we can't trust people. Are they telling the truth or are they not? Well, let's think about this. That's the whole crux of it. Whole crux. Are they telling the truth or not? And that's what the world says when they look at us. You've told me about your God. Are you telling the truth or not? We can, we can mess people up. The same ones that talk about a loving God just spew hate. Not even making sense of what we're saying. Hatred for other people doesn't make sense at all. Doesn't make sense at all. As it goes deeper into explaining just how important this tongue is. You get to verse 6 where it says, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. Okay, the course by nature. It's kind of saying, like, listen, this is part of our sinful nature. This is something that from the day you're born, you're going to have problems with. What comes out of your mouth? And it is filled with iniquity. Later on, we get into how poisonous it is. But it's just saying, listen, it's a fire that spreads and spreads and spreads. It's a world of iniquity. And look at it. It's set on fire by hell. Now, this is interesting. Hell can be Sheol in the Bible. This is not. The original word is only used 11 other times, I believe. Maybe one other time in Revelation. But basically, this is, I think the original in the Greek is a Ghana or something. This means the literal place hell. A lot of people struggle with this verse, like, whew. What, what, what's going on here? Jesus talked about hell 11 different times. I thought, thinking in my own little mind, like, man, this is deep stuff. Like, what is he trying to say? Set on fire by hell. What's he trying to say? And so I just thought of the difference, maybe, of comparing hell and heaven, right? Hell is a place for Satan. 
And I just want you to think again some of the things we've thought about of how Satan uses his words. He's called the father of lies, the accuser of the brethren, always wanting preeminence. He's got it all. He's got the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. He has it all. We talked about all the time in the garden what he did. He messed up God's words. He tried to confuse it. He tried to um, strain it to look different. He's constantly trying to trick and deceive us. This whole world system that he's in charge of is always about deception, always about lies, always about half-truths. He is an ultimate liar, constantly tricking people. And that's why this book of James is just like you almost don't want to read it. Because you're like, oh my goodness, is, is what I say, is it attached to any of that? Is, is really, do I really have the potential of what I say, attach itself to all that lies, all that deception, all that nasty, sinful, just thing? Do I, do, does that come out of my mouth as the believer? Not as someone who's lost, not as someone who can't do any better, as someone who's been saved. As someone who God has come into their lives and changed them, I still have the ability to bring hell out of my mouth. How is that possible? It's not something to be messed around with. We have to be those that guard our mouths, what we are saying. The opposite of that is God himself, which you might have heard in my prayer, thy, thy word is truth. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the Word is God. Guys, the Gospel is completely void if God can do one thing, lie. That's the whole thing about faith. Faith is trust and trust and action. And action on what? We're taking them at what He has said to be true. If what God has said is not true, our whole faith is shot. We have no hope, nothing. It all breaks down if he at any point can lie. You see the opposites of Satan and God himself. God cannot lie because our whole faith is shot if he can. And he's saying the tongue can be born in hell where lies just come all the time. And this is the great calling of a mature believer. Can we get to the point where we stop telling lies? Can we get to the point where we stop being hypocrites? Can we get to the point where we stop preaching at someone the gospel and our lifestyles don't match up? This is where we get clothed in humility, by the way. Right? This is why God says a contrite heart I'll bring right next to me. Because if you can clothe yourself in humility going, oh my goodness, I can't do this part, then we started off well. Right? This is where all these major themes of the Bible come together. But James wants to put in just, this little, little part of a letter going, hey, I'm not shooting, I'm not playing games. Control your mouths. Control your mouths. I want to tell you what happens when you just open up your mouth and don't think about it. <clears throat> it's uncontrollable, it says. Uncontrollable. Verse 7, every kind of beast and a bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Who, I, I sound like a broken record. Whose tongues is he talking about? He's talking about ours. I, I, I want you to hear this because when I read this, it took me reading it about 30 times. I don't know. I threw all that number out. I want to lie. I'm talking about lying. That's an exaggeration. 
It took me a long time to read these verses going, wait a minute, it's, it's me he's talking about. It's me. My tongue is filled with poison, like a venomous snake. That's it. You're bit, you're done. You're dead. That's my tongue. It's not just some random in general thing. He's talking about me. And he's saying it's uncontrollable. Uncontrollable. I mean, without Jesus Christ living in us, we have no hope. We have no hope over what we say. None. And when we get to the practical application of all these things, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. He's going to go into a little more about how crazy our tongues can be. Verse 9, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Okay, what does it mean to curse here? I do want to um, just re-emphasize it doesn't mean swearing, okay? Because there might be some people in the room that think that. It's pretty easy to read cursing in the Bible and think, ooh, I got those words in my head. I know what they're talking about. But it's not. To curse someone actually means that you really wish evil upon them. That's what it means. When someone was cursed back in these times, it means you, you want something bad to happen to those people. And you think, man, we as Christians would never do that. We would never praise God and then wish evil upon someone. Are you joking? I, I do it all the time. All the time. Talk trash about people all the time. Now I say that, hopefully it's not like, oh, wait, what are you, what are you talking about? I mean, let's just talk about politics for one second. Do we wish evil upon people? I want you to think about this. Do you wish evil upon people? There's people I want evil to happen to. There is. I want you to think about that. The things we talk about. When you disagree with someone. Let, let's talk about the, the people that are just completely sinful, that they look gross. Because we're so much better. And I'm not trying to... I'm not, I'm serious. You look at the drag queens and the, and the people that are just flaming out in their sin. And, all, and you, you want to talk, eat, you wish something bad would happen to them. I, I absolutely do. And you know what the verse says? What's wrong with you? Because they were created in the image of God just like you. Just like you. You better be careful what you're saying. I want you to, I want you to just take a pause and think about that. These people were created in God's image just like you. And so how can you come here on a Sunday morning and praise and worship God and then walk out the door and say, I wish those people would just get evil done to them. You don't understand the gospel if that's true. You don't get it. And, I, and believe me, I'm preaching to myself. I've sat there and went, man, this is just another level of the gospel I don't get. I don't get if I can sit there and wish evil upon someone. I'm not talking about saying their sin is okay. I'm not talking about any of that nonsense. Let's not go too crazy. I'm talking about there's times where I went, man, I don't like that person's uh, point of view. I don't like that person's lifestyle. And I wish something bad would happen to them to change them. That's anti-gospel. Because <laughs> the Bible says God's demonstrated his love and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He died for us. And they're saying, listen, 
You were created in God's image, and with that comes dignity and respect just because you were made in God's image. And as fallen as these people are, they have dignity and respect coming at them because they were made in God's image too. And last time I checked, God can save anyone. So that's the point. Our hearts should be breaking, and we should be praying for these people because I actually serve a God that changes people. So instead of just wishing evil upon them and talking about it with my mouth, maybe I should be talking about, let's pray for them. Hey, is there anything about God you don't understand? Maybe we should start there. How can a tongue produce good and evil? This whole idea of a spring um, and salt water, a fig tree producing um, olives and things like that. It's just, it's just a basic example saying it's impossible. Your tongue cannot produce good things and evil things. It's only one tongue. <laughs> There's no such thing. You know, we call the water brackish when the fresh water comes into the saltwater ocean. This, it's salt water. <laughs> it might not be as salty as the ocean, but it's salt water. You don't want to drink it. There's really no such thing as a mixing. A little bit of fresh, a little bit of salt. It's salt water. And so with our tongues, this is what he's saying. Listen, you you don't get the best of both worlds. (laughs) I want you to think about all your Old Testament stuff where he says better to obey rather than sacrifice. And all those times where God's talking about the people's sacrifice and he's saying, listen, your heart is far from me. You acknowledge me with your lips, but I don't care what you're saying. That's not what happens. That's not how I account it in my economy. Your heart's far from me. I don't care about your lip surface. I don't care about it. And this is one of the hardest things for us Christians to believe, that God does not care about your lip surface. He doesn't. You can come here to Bramford Bible Chapel all the time, have all the right things to say, show Scripture. I don't know your heart. You could be completely far from the Lord. Completely. God doesn't care about your lip surface. He doesn't. He cares about your heart. Let's get into the practical application of all of this. So now that I'm totally depressed, no, I'm just kidding. It's a serious thing, our tongue. So let's talk about what we can actually do. Because remember, we've been saying in the series, we want to put this in practice. Turn to Luke chapter 6. I got like four things I think they're just kind of practical, maybe Lord willing we can practice these this week. Luke chapter 6 verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Do you want to know where your words come from? It comes from your heart. It comes from who you really are. That's where the rubber meets the road. The Bible talks about it also in uh, the book of Matthew. You can check it out. Okay, Verse 46, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? (laughs) Jesus is talking about the mouth. He says, listen, out of your heart comes your words. And you can sit there all the time and say what you want about me. But if you don't obey me, then what are you saying? What are you saying? And so if you're worried about your mouth today... Because I'm worried about my mouth today. Here's my practical application is just take an inventory. 
right, of what's coming in. This is what the Bible talked about. It said, listen, what goes in a man is what comes out of a man that defiles a man. What's in our heart, it is another time again to take inventory. What are we listening to? What are we watching? Who are we hanging around? Those things will actually build into your heart. Okay? Build in your heart. So the, the stereotype, I don't agree with this, by the way. So oh, we can talk about this later if you want. But, you know, uh, growing up, we were not allowed to watch a lot of movies with swears. Because then somehow we'd be swearing all the time. I never got that because I heard him every day we went to school. But that's just a little sidebar. That's why I say I don't necessarily agree with the illustration. But the idea, the principle behind it was you will be influenced by what you are hearing and watching. Don't think it doesn't have an influence. So when you're suddenly angry and you're suddenly all kind of geared up, think about what you've been watching. Is there anything that's been watching that's actually put that stuff into your mind and out of your heart now? These things are going to flow out. So take inventory this week and start to see, maybe I shouldn't listen to this for now. Maybe I should not, uh, you know, be watching this. I will tell you, and again, I'm not, uh, this is for me, not you. There was definitely a time I used to listen to some uh, talk shows uh, about political stuff, and I realized I I can't listen to this stuff. I'm just going home mad every single day. And Kim would be like, what's up? And I'm like, actually, I don't know. I had a good day, I thought. The ride home, suddenly I'm coming home mad. <laughs> All right, so I, I stopped listening to that stuff. That's number one. Number two, um, this is not just for parents. I think it's for all of us. I think it would be a good thing here at Brainford Bible Chapel. Now I'm sounding very old. But I think we should not allow children to talk back. <sighs> all right, hold on. Now. I don't know if there's a magical age. I say around 12 or something, you start to become a teenager, you start to formulate ideas. Now you can start to have conversations. But guys, um, as parents, as Sunday school teachers, as adults, okay, if we tell a child to do something, they should do it. Not because we're all that. It's because we're actually teaching authority structure in life. And we are getting to the point where kids just talk back all the time. And the reason this actually matters is the book of James, where we just learned how unbelievable dangerous their tongue is so let's help them out by teaching them how to be slow to speak when they talk back we say no 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 this isn't a conversation you're just going to listen right now because there's a lot of times in our lives we need to shut up and listen and so what we're doing is we're breeding the young people to just start talking at age four all the time they're just constantly talking back they're in for a rude awakening we all have to learn how to be quiet sometimes and not respond right away. So I'd just like to encourage us to maybe have a community here where we don't allow the kids to talk back. Now, all that stuff should be done in love. Okay. If you are literally cursing, literally, you're swearing a lot. This is going to come up because we're talking about the tongue. You've got to stop. Okay? People have different struggles. It's, uh, you know. It's not the unforgivable sin of cursing, but at the same time, it's before us today. So if you're a person that swears a lot, stop. Do what it takes to stop. Now, I've given you, uh, I doubt you remember the story, but my friend in high school, uh, he wanted to stop. And because we're football players, I got to hit him every single time. He swore uh, he, he was black and blue in a day. It was just what we did. Okay, I'm not saying we should all come black and blue next week. I'm not saying that. But... Um, 
know what unwholesome talk to means. I just wanted to quickly get this in because, again, you will have verses like, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but that what is good for the edification of the hearer. That does not necessarily mean don't say swear words. Okay? Don't get it confused. Unwholesome talk is unwholesome talk. Anything that's actually vulgar or bad, um, that's not going to be honoring to the Lord. Why do I say that? I just want to just clearly um, say, and this is my conviction, I'm not saying um, this has to be for all of you, you can study yourself. Sometimes we're like, oh, you can never say this word. Well, I don't know if that's totally true, because God judges your heart. And so if you are um, reporting something that happened at work and there were swears involved, is it okay for a Christian to write down the swear? I think it's fine. In fact, I did this last week. I sent my first kids to the office. There were some students in the hallway. They were saying some pretty vulgar things. And so I walked into the office, the principal's office, with these two students. I said, hello, principal. Here's what they said. And I said exactly what they said. Because I wanted to have them hear what it sounded like for an adult to talk to another adult and say the same thing. Now, that could have been wrong. I don't think it was. Because my heart was in the right spot. I repeated exactly what they said. And my principal went like, okay, sit down, kids. Okay, because in that sense, the unwholesome talk, the cursing, okay, it has a matter to do with your heart. The thing with cursing is this. The world says it's wrong. How do we know that? Because you can't say certain words in a PG movie. Boom, done. Right? The world has a standard. They know what's right or wrong. And so if the world says these words are wrong, then the Christian should not be saying them. So let's stop. Finally, I want us to take thoughts captive when we see a non-Christian who's acting foolishly and we want them to have evil bestowed upon them. So this week, as we see non-Christians who are doing something foolish, that we just wish God would punish them somehow, maybe we can take that thought captive and pray instead. Okay? Start to actually take the thought captive and say, this is not the right way to think. They've been made in the image of God. I do not want to sit there and talk bad about them. I don't want to do the wrong. I just want to pray for them. I want to pray for them. One of the things they say is uh, the think thing. Is what you say true? Is it necessary or is it kind? I don't like the H and the I. It was like inspiring and something else. I'm just going to go with those three things. We're going to end right there. Everything we say, is it truthful? Is it necessary? Is it kind? That's a good way to judge the words coming out of your mouth. We're going to have corporate prayer. I will close our time and then the Christmas play downstairs for the meeting.